Well, there's, of course, will be another week of uncertainty. The fighting in Ukraine is getting closer to the border with Poland, with an attack just 10 kilometers from the edge of NATO territory. It's going to be a telling week for oil, although an Iran deal could help with that. Uh, but perhaps that seems unlikely just yet. Yield curves are flattening as inflation continues to worry central bankers with the Fed meeting this week and others too. It's Monday, the 14th of March, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar got back over 99.1 on the DXY index on Friday, close to the two-year high that was set at the start of last week. So all safe haven, of course, all moving to the US dollar. The optimism that hit the markets midweek has now totally dissipated. The difference now is, though, that the Aussie, which had been climbing on rising commodity prices, is now back down with all the other major currencies, losing 0.9% on Friday alone. Uh, there was a lot of movement in bond yields on Friday as well. Ten-year treasuries were up just one basis point, but European yields were generally down down uh, but many like Italy had of course risen sharply on Thursday uh, so they're all up on the week so they for example the yield on 10-year bonds uh, went from minus 0.1 to plus 0.25 percent last week and oil the price rise had stalled in the middle of the week but clearly back on the rise at the end of the week WTI and Brent both up more than 3% on Friday, but $113 for Brent, still a way off that $130 high from earlier in the week. And equities heading south, where they were in the United States, a 2.1% fall in the NASDAQ, 1.3% for the S&P 500, all not far off the base that they found on Tuesday, the lowest for eight months or so. In fact, the S&P now more than 12% off its peak in early January, Although European stocks didn't fall on Friday. The DAX, for example, finished the day 1.4% up, 6% above where it had bottomed out on Tuesday. So in a nutshell for the week, US equities down, European shares up. So lots of questions to start the week with. Here's uh, NAB's Rodrigo Catrill. Uh, I mean, first of all, this difference in European versus U.S. shares, the U.S., it's fair to say U.S. shares were falling at the end of the day after the European market had closed. So that might be a bit of it. But where's it all going to go today? Where's oil going to go? Because it stalled. Will it start rising again? Because, we, you know, we're seeing predictions it could get to 140 or depending who you ask, some people saying 175. Uh, in short, Rodrigo, what's going where? Do, <laughs> do, do, do we know? Um, uh, morning, Phil. Well, I suppose you start with this part of the the, the contrast between U- U.S. and European equity shares yeah. with Europe, Europe doing really well. Um, it wasn't just a Friday story. We we saw those big gains in the DAX halfway through the week. Um, I made expectations that, you know, there was some big sort of decision coming from the European um, leaders in terms of sorting out the energy crisis and, and also support for, um, you know, the, the ramifications from um, the crisis in Ukraine as well. Um, now, so that was also amplified on Friday because of uh, President Putin saying that he had you know, seen certain positive developments in the talks with Ukraine. Uh, and that certainly boosted uh, uh, sentiment in general. And as you say, into the close of the European equity market, it, it ended up with that positive vibe. Um, mm. Those positive vibes were uh, refuted by U- Ukraine leaders later in the day. Uh, and that played into the weakness that was recorded in, in the US, uh, as well as a, a very, very soft um, consumer sentiment as well, which played into 
uh, weakness in the U.S. Uh, session, especially the start of the U.S. session. So, so the yeah. Ukraine story basically is still very much ruling the, the narrative here, um, and we're still continuing to see those positive and negative sort of comments. Um, you know, well, it's hot and cold, isn't it? I mean, don't you feel like we're being played at uh, played with a little bit? I mean, so we had uh, Putin meeting Macron and Schultz, uh, and uh, you know, um, that th- Putin was making a, you know positive sounds from from that, uh, but Macron and Schultz said he's got no intention of ending the war i think you know it's it's safe to assume this is going to go on for a long time i don't think we're going to see a quick result are we in terms of some some form of negotiation well i think personally when i look at all of this uh, from from the very beginning even before the war began but when the tensions began um it's been very important to actually watch what russia does rather than what the leaders say um and Mm. and uh, admittedly i think the majority of us in the West completely underestimated how far this has gone. We always thought, oh, you know, Putin is putting pressure on things and eventually he'll, you know, back down if he yeah. gets some something. Um, now, well, and, what, now and what's the, he doing? It's, well, and, it's all bad. He's, I mean, he, he, he was bombing a, 10 kilometers from the border with Poland over the weekend, this military training base. Uh, he's targeting foreign fighters now coming into the Ukraine, clearly. So lots of them are dying. Uh, we had uh, Russia, you know, saying Ukraine is developing biological weapons in laboratories last week, which is the whole false flag thing. And we just need to look when he says that that tends to mean that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's, there's real dangers of escalation points, aren't there? Yeah. And as much as maybe, you know, uh, Russia is taking longer to, to take the Ukraine, when you look at its military force, it's, it's, mm. it's huge. And, and uh, sure, it might take them a bit longer than expected. But uh, in terms of who's more likely to win at this stage, um, Russia has the power to, to do it. Um, so overall, um, as much as even over the weekend, the FT is reporting that potentially there's some signs of positive dialogue between the two. The reality is that, as you mentioned, um, uh, Ukraine continues to be bombarded by, by Russia. And, um, and there's, there's a general feeling here that Putin is not going to stop until he at least gains control over Kiev. Um, and, and, you know, we're still in the midst of, of these fights. So, mm. um, Personally, it's, it's hard to see any any positive improvements, material improvements uh, at the start of this week. So that's not going to look good for equities. Presumably, it does mean oil prices uh, continue to rise unless we see something sorted out over Iran, which obviously is another sort of uh, political story in the background uh, uh, this week. But will that be enough to keep prices down? Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, and then and then we're you know flattening bond yields. That's the other part of the whole picture as well, isn't it? Yes. So I suppose in terms of the the, the other equity narrative is is this contrast that we've seen in Europe and the US. We think that volatility will remain elevated. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a bit of payback from, from Europe on, on Monday. Um, in terms of the narrative in, in the energy sector, it's still very volatile. Now, we've got to remember that, you know, before all of this, we were talking about elevated price levels in oil, you know, around 80, 85. Uh, now we've seen oil prices potentially settling just, you know, around 112, 110. So it's still hugely elevated relative to where we were before. And, and the consequences of that uh, will be seen over coming months and quarters in terms of you know energy prices, which we're already seeing in the pump and, and more of the same should be expected. So um, whilst I suppose positively we can say maybe maybe oil prices are settling a little bit, they're still settling at very, very elevated levels. Well, And that is, um, that, that's why we're seeing, for example, the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Index hit a, an 11-year low on Friday. It's why presumably we will also see certain industries like the travel industry, their share prices 
being not for a six. I mean, is this going to hit consumption levels? If we've got less money because we're paying more for oil, consumers and businesses will have less money to spend on other things. So doesn't this become a, you know, flag towards a, you know, a potential recession down the track? Well, um, you would normally say that is the case. Um, now, one of the sort of big arguments that many economists make, uh, and including ourselves, is, is that, well, we've got to remember that this time is slightly different because consumers are cashed up. Uh, we have, you know, mm. huge levels of savings. And, and at the moment, when you look at what consumers are doing rather than what they're saying, it's still the case that they, they are consuming. Um, but of course, um, what history, history also tells us is that when you see a continued and, and persistent decline in consumer sentiment in the U.S., it tends to be a very good and, and reliable indicator of a slowdown of the U.S. economy. And, and we've got to remember that consumer sentiment, particularly when you look at the Michigan reading, uh, has been on a steady decline since June last year. Um, and now we're well, mm. well below that sort of uh, long-term average of 80. So we got the reading of 59 uh, on Friday. So um, it's something to, to, to that needs, needs careful uh, monitoring. Um, and a persistence from here uh, will certainly start increasing uh, concerns around, uh, you know, the potential that the U.S. economy is slowing down more than expected. Yeah. All right. Now, I, I briefly mentioned the, the, the yield curve. So the two 10-year spread for uh, U.S. Treasuries down to 0.25% from almost 0.9% at the start of the year. Uh, we're getting back to the discussion we were having in late 2019, aren't we, when the yield curve actually inve- inverted for a short while. And we were asking then, does this mean there's a recession? Uh, we were finding reasons why that wasn't the case. Are we fi- is it again because consumer spending is so strong? Is that is is that does that mean we can ignore this or, or what is what is this flattening yield curve telling us? Well, I suppose the one thing you haven't mentioned amongst all the all the sort of headlines is that all along uh, all these concerns around Russia, what we've also seen is that these inflationary pressures have kept up those expectations that the Fed not only will look to increase the Fed funds rate this week, but it will embark on a tightening cycle that potentially is going to be, you know, quite aggressive. And 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 um, yeah. that flattening of the curve, uh, particularly on Friday, was actually led by a 5.2 basis point rise in, in the two-year rate. Now, the two-year rate is mm. now looking that it's potentially breaking higher is now at 174. And when you look at the chart, it's, it's sort of jumping and, and look, looking to accelerate. So um, part of the, the flattening of the curve is obviously the concerns around the outlook, uh, but also the concerns that maybe the Fed is tightening. Uh, the tightening that it will need to do because of inflation will again put a big strain or big stop on, 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 on the economy. So, um, so more, again, dot, more dot points this year then, because the Fed meets on Thursday. Higher, yeah. yeah, and we, we're expecting a quarter percent rise. I don't think anyone's expecting more than that, given all the uncertainty, but a, a, high, a higher end result for the end of the year, you're saying? Well, it's not only that. It's, it's like exactly the, the importance of the relevant uh, as well to to the right decision is that we were going to get those new forecasts and in yeah. it we will see those dots. Um, and then what is the message there? Do they really want to hike five, six uh, uh, times this this year? And then how, how high do you actually want to end in terms of the tightening cycle? So that will be an important information for the market to assess. Um there's a general discussion going on here that when you have a supply shock coming from oil prices and, and implicit inflationary uh, pressures, um, you know, the, the Fed will tend to get to neutral, but not necessarily go beyond neutral. And, and that information will be important in terms of what is said and what is displayed uh, on Wednesday. Right. 
Okay, and uh, look, we've got the Bank of England and the Bank of Japan as well uh, this week. It's going to be interesting for the Bank of Canada. They've just met, of course. Uh, their next meeting's not till uh, the middle of April. But those uh, those unemployment numbers or those uh, jobs numbers from uh, from Friday, uh, three hundred thirty six thousand new jobs uh, on Friday. Twice expectations. The unemployment rate fell from six and a half to five and a half percent, and that was even with a rise in the participation rate. These are uh, big moves, weren't they? And then perhaps worryingly, wages year on year went from two point four percent in January to three point three percent, the annual rate in in uh, in, in February. So uh, the, the Bank of Canada is going to have to do more, isn't it? If it wants to control inflation, it looks like it's becoming uh, a, a real concern. Though. Yep. And, and if anything, a, a lesson here in terms of uh, what we expect is potentially likely to happen as well in Australia in terms of that big improvement and fast mm. improvement of the labour market. So um, we got to remember that this this reading was a bit of a payback to, to the big soft uh, the, the numbers that we got uh, in the previous month. Um, so a continuation of this very, very strong prints will certainly uh, instigate uh, an acceleration in terms of the uh, rate hike expectations from the Bank of Canada. But uh, certainly at this stage, it's looking really good in, in, in that regard for the labor market in Canada and, and vindicates the position that the, the Bank of Canada has taken. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Australian labor force data looks this week, of course. You know, are we, as you say, are we facing the same issue? We also get uh, activity data from uh, China tomorrow. Uh, you know, they are, you know, looking at more ambitious growth targets. Can they do that without Russia? That old China-Russia relationship is going to be interesting to watch, isn't it? And also, uh, currencies this week, if commodities do rise again, I mean, is it is it as simple as commodity currencies are doing well, uh, although Australia has sort of turned a corner on that, the U.S. remains the safe haven of choice. So as things get worse, if they do this week, does it keep on going up? Uh, and the countries that are big importers of energy, like Japan, normally a safe haven currency, doing rather badly because, of course, it's so dependent on rising energy costs. Well, I think that that's one of the big takeaways from uh, from the week. When you look at the performance of currencies, sure, the dollar is stronger across the board. But the weakest currency for the week is the yen. Uh, and, you know, we're still mm. seeing this huge volatility in equity markets, high levels of uncertainty. And yet the classic safe havens, uh, the yen and the Swiss franc are underperforming. And now the yen underperformance is, is raising some eyebrows, uh, but it's sort of partly justified by the big rise in, in core yields and particularly U.S. Treasury yields, you know, the 10 year, you know, touching that 2% level, which is a big sort of force against the yen. Uh, but overall, it's also raising the concerns, as you mentioned, that um, uh, the, the, very similar to Europe, um, you know, the Japanese economy is a big consumer and importer of energy and a persistent rise in energy prices is, is essentially a terms of uh, trade shock. Um, and that has been reflected um, for the yen losing its ability to, to display that safe heaven attri attributes. Saying that um, uh, commodities have also were weaker on the week. Um, uh, oil prices were volatile and went up on Friday. But when you look at the performance for the week, um, all commodities were, were softer with the exception of gold and, and iron ore was unchanged as well. Um, so overall, the, 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 that volatility in, in commodities has also been reflected in those movements that we've seen in, in commodity-linked currencies like the Aussie as well. All right, very good. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk with Rodrigo. Another interesting week ahead, that's for sure. Uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. And I'll be back tomorrow morning. Tapas joining me tomorrow morning on The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you then. <laughs>